Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 648 for the 23rd of June, 2019. This week, after trying to convince Windows users that its own proprietary display engine was better than those used by Chrome and Firefox, Microsoft has finally given up on Edge HTML. The next version of Edge will be based on Chromium. In Short Circuits, recently released updates to Adobe Lightroom Classic include a powerful new feature that most people probably won't use, but those who care deeply about color purity will be delighted. For the majority of users, a new texture slider will have more appeal, and Adobe says that the automatic adjustment feature has been improved. No matter how fast your computer is, you probably wish it could be faster. Let's consider a couple of options to make it so. And in spare parts, only on the website, previewed at last year's Max conference, Adobe Gemini will be known as Fresco, and it's coming soon. Big changes for New York City subways and buses as the MTA works to convert from plastic metro cards to a system that accepts payment from electronic wallets and various kinds of payment cards. Internet Explorer can still be found on current Windows systems, but it shouldn't be used. The final version of Internet Explorer, IE 11, was released six years ago, 2013. It has been replaced by Edge, but because user acceptance of Edge was far below what Microsoft thought it would be, the next version of Edge will be based on the open-source Chromium project. The change will leave two primary browser engines, Blink, which is Chromium's engine used by Chrome and most other browsers, and Gecko used by Firefox and a couple of others. WebKit is still used by Apple's Safari, no longer available on Windows systems though. And there are a few others that exist on Linux systems, but the vast majority, 75% or so, use Chromium. Around 10% use Gecko. The current iteration of Edge uses Microsoft's proprietary Edge HTML engine, which will be discontinued, and the Chakra engine. The new version, now available publicly for those who want to work with a browser that's still in development, is fully based on Chromium. Development is far enough along that it's possible to use the new Chromium-based browser, and far enough along that we can see where the browser is going, but not so far along that it would be a good choice as your primary browser. So this seemed like a pretty good time to take a look. As with other Chromium-based browsers, the settings menu is located under ellipsis dots in the upper right corner. Some of the default settings in profiles are not the way I would set them to be. This is the area where users can select sync options, password, payment, address options, and also import data from other browsers. These are all important. Sync can be turned on or off globally. When activated, and when the user logs in with a Microsoft account, instances of Edge will be synchronized across multiple machines. Only favorites and settings are currently active, and I have enabled both. Extensions, history, open tabs, addresses, and passwords cannot be turned on yet, 
I would enable extensions, but I don't think I'd enable any of the others. Passwords is the section where users can view saved passwords and determine whether site logins should be automatic when passwords are stored. The offer to save passwords is turned on by default. I turned that off. It seems that turning the option to save passwords off should also disable the option to sign in automatically, but it doesn't. I turned that off too. Why? Because I feel that browsers should not be used to store passwords. That's what password managers are for. I also turned off the option to save and fill in payment information in the Payment tab. Again, I don't want the browser to retain credit card information. That's another function password managers do. And there's an offer to save addresses, phone numbers, and email addresses. Because password managers can handle these kinds of entries, I turned that feature off, too. The new Edge can import information from Chrome, the previous version of Edge, and Internet Explorer. If you want to import data from other browsers, you'll need to export the bookmarks or favorites to an HTML file and then load them in the new Edge. The Privacy and Settings tab is where the user can clear browsing data and set several privacy settings. By default, the option to send Do Not Track requests is turned on. I turned that off because virtually no websites that track people honor the request, so there's really no good reason to turn it on. There are four other options. First, allow sites to check if you have payment information saved. I turned that off even though I am explicitly not saving any payment data in the browser. Second, improve Microsoft products by sending data about how you use the browser. I leave that on because the more information Microsoft receives about problems with the browser, the faster the problems can be resolved. Third, make searches better by sending information about websites you visit in Microsoft Edge. I'm still thinking about that one, but I'm inclined to leave it on. And fourth, if you have any HTTPS or SSL certificates, you'll find a link to the Security Management section of Windows. Under the Services section, there are options to use a web service to help resolve navigation errors, Microsoft Defender Smart Screen, and Address Bar settings. I left the web service and Microsoft Defender options on, and I also left the site suggestions option on. Here's also where you specify your preferred search engine. Bing, of course, is the default, but you can switch to Yahoo, Google, or DuckDuckGo, or you can add another search engine and then set it as the default. By default, the page that appears when the browser starts will show sites that you visit frequently, but it's possible to change the default layout. There are four options. Focused eliminates the background image. Inspirational displays a background image and a comment that leads to Bing. Informational divides the browser window horizontally so that the news feed appears in the lower half. And Custom makes it possible to create other arrangements. I'm currently using the Inspirational option, which fills the screen with an image but the news screen, called My Feed, appears when I scroll down. Personalizing the news feed is easy, and a wide range of topics exist, from money, top stories, U.S. news, world news, travel, and politics, to health and fitness, video, good news, movies, music, and crime, and a lot more. I like the Site Permissions tab. Here you can specify on a per-site basis what the browser will allow when a site attempts to interact with installed hardware or software. 
There are settings for cookies, location, camera, microphone, motion or light sensors, notifications, JavaScript, flash, images, pop-ups and redirects, background sync, automatic downloads, unsandboxed plug-in access, handlers, MIDI devices, zoom levels, USB devices, PDF documents, protected content, clipboard, and payment handlers. A lot of choices. This is impressive. Microsoft says that an upcoming feature called Collections will allow users to collect, organize, share, and export content directly to Microsoft Office applications. The new Edge browser, in other words, is going to be exactly like Chrome, but completely different. For starters, Microsoft will replace or disable some 50 Chromium services. Now, some of those are generic services like spelling check and speech input. Others, such as Google Now and Google Play, are obviously very much Google-specific. There are also plans to enable 4K streaming of content provided with digital rights management, Netflix, for example. This is a feature not yet present, along with a lot of other planned additions. Coming soon! Microsoft hasn't announced a release date, but it's been working on the Chromium-based version since late in 2018. This is the first version of a Microsoft browser that I'm actually expecting to like and looking forward to being able to use occasionally. Anyone who wants to download and install the new Microsoft Chromium Edge can obtain it from Microsoft. If you want to give it a try, download it from the Microsoft Edge Insider site. There's a link there from the TechBiter Worldwide site, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, anyone who needs to justify the monthly subscription fee for Adobe's photographic offerings would be wise to think about the updates that are rolled out every month or two. In the old days, new features were released as part of major version updates, which meant you'd have to wait a year, maybe a year and a half, or even two years to see improvements. Now it's much more frequent. That's great for users. A bit of a challenge for those of us who talk about software, because individual updates rarely have blockbuster features. Users who install the updates sometimes don't even investigate to see what's new, and they can miss out on useful features. The most recent Lightroom Classic version has several welcome new features. The first new feature isn't entirely new, and it'll probably be used by only a tiny percentage of Lightroom users. Now, if that sounds like damning with faint praise, it's not. But I do need to explain. The feature is called Flat Field Correction. First, why it's not entirely new. The feature's been available for a while as a free plug-in from Adobe. Now it's in the library menu of the library module. Second, why few photographers will ever use it. The technology behind it is astonishingly complex, and much of what flat field correction can do is already included in lens corrections. Key point there, much of what flat field correction can do, not everything. Every lens has some known problems. These range from various types of distortion and unwanted vignetting to color fringing and color shifts. Some of the problems are common across all lenses of a particular model from a given manufacturer. Others are specific to each lens. 
It is those lens-specific deficiencies that flat field correction is intended to address. Lightroom knows about an immense number of lenses, and it can apply corrections for distortion and vignetting because those are common to all copies of a given lens model. Color shifts across the lens field of view need to be addressed by flat field correction, but the user needs to create a calibration frame to do that. Although it isn't particularly difficult, creating such a frame does require some time to create the exposure. Because the corrections are subtle, only the most detail-oriented photographers will bother to do it. An article by Sean Reed explains in detail what flat field correction does, describes exactly how to use it, illustrates the subtle changes, and explains how to create your own calibration frame. You'll find a link to that article on the TechBetter Worldwide website this week. Next is the new Texture Slider. Now, Lightroom already has clarity, dehaze, and sharpening tools, so you might wonder what's the point of the new Texture Slider. It's not like stereo amplifiers of yesteryear where adding knobs and buttons and dials and gauges, even useless ones, made the unit more appealing to some buyers. In fact, every slider that Lightroom offers has some explicit uses. Consider vibrance and saturation, or exposure, or highlights and whites, or shadows and blacks. It would be easy to think of these as somewhat needless duplications, but that would be entirely wrong. Saturation affects the entire image, while vibrance is a more nuanced tool that acts primarily on muted colors without accentuating colors that are already fully saturated. Highlights and shadows are more nuanced than exposure, and they apply their effects only in the lighter and darker areas. The white and black sliders are often used to re-establish the brightest and darkest areas of an image following highlights and shadows adjustments. So, texture is related to clarity, dehaze, and sharpening, but it has its own specific uses. Texture can be applied to an entire image or brushed onto a specific area. Adding texture to rocks, tree bark, and other similar surfaces make them pop. Reducing texture on a portrait shot improves the appearance of the subject's skin. In both of those cases, brushing the adjustment on would have a better effect than applying it to the entire image. One caution, though, this isn't a tool for high-end photo retouching that's usually done in Photoshop, but it is a quick and easy way to add some subtle changes that will improve an image. And there are some other changes, too. Adobe says that the Auto feature in the Basic Adjustments section has been improved. Sometimes Auto gets everything right, but even when it doesn't, it usually provides an excellent starting point. On occasion, auto completely misreads an image and the result is hideous. But if that happens, Control-Z reverses the changes. On balance, auto is right, or at least in the ballpark, far more times than it's not. And I almost always start with the auto adjustment because it saves time for me. Also, as camera manufacturers release new models, they make changes to the RAW file format Every new release of Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw includes support for new cameras. The latest release has support for 16 new cameras and nearly 30 new lenses. Both cameras and lenses include new smartphone cameras. You'll find links to both the camera list and the new lenses list on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thank you.
ever noticed that no matter how fast a computer is, it's always too slow? Computers can be made faster, and many of the procedures involved aren't particularly difficult to accomplish. There's an old joke that editors share. Making a boat fast could mean adding a large motor or tying it to the pier. Think of this as adding a larger motor. There's another old joke that editors share that starts with this question. How many editors does it take to screw in a light bulb? But we're not going to be going there today. So, let's say that you have a computer. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, that seems to be a pretty safe assumption. Now, let's also say that the computer you're using isn't as fast as you'd like it to be. That's also probably a safe assumption, because any time spent waiting for a computer is wasted. And it's an annoyance. But what can you do? Well, I'm going to assume that you're using a Windows computer, too, though some of the problems that Windows users encounter are also seen by Mac users. If the computer suddenly seems too slow, and particularly if it crashes at random times, checking for viruses and other malware is a good first step. You probably have some protective software in place, but no protective application catches every threat every time. So start by running two full scans, one with the protective application you use on a daily basis, and a second with one of the applications listed by Bleeping Computer. You'll find a link to that list on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and note that it is a very old list, but still it's a good starting point. If either scan finds a problem application, remove it. But assuming nothing is found, take a look at Settings, Apps, and Features. Sorting by the install date will reveal any recently installed applications, and of course you'll want to remove any application you don't recall installing. Before removing the application, though, it's a good idea to use a search engine to investigate. Just because you don't recognize the application doesn't mean that it's malware, and it doesn't mean that you want to get rid of it. The next step involves examining the applications that start with Windows. Every such application slows the computer just a bit because it consumes CPU and memory resources. Now, admittedly, I start a lot of applications when Windows boots, even though I know every one of them makes the overall operation slower. Knowing this, I specified a computer with a fast CPU and a lot of memory. The computer would be faster if I didn't start all of those applications at boot time, but it would also be slower without the applications, because those applications would be required to load when I needed them. The bottom line here is to eliminate applications you rarely use and retain only those that you use regularly. If, like me, you want to load a lot of applications at boot time, then invest in a computer with the CPU and memory to support the applications. Okay, so let's say you've gotten this far and you've really not found any malware or problems. You've decided that every application loaded at boot time is essential to what you do, but the computer is still slow. Well, now what? There are two additional steps you should consider. How much memory does the computer have? If it's 4 gigabytes, which is about the smallest amount of memory available in any computer these days, consider increasing the memory to 8 gigabytes, or 16, or 32, or even 64. Unless you're a power user who needs a lot of RAM for processing images or videos, 16 gigabytes is probably enough. And if the computer has a mechanical hard drive, think about replacing that standard drive with a solid-state drive. SSDs are much faster than mechanical drives, and the process of removing the standard drive and installing an SSD is not difficult. 
The How To Geek website has an explanation, and I have a link to that explanation from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Adding RAM and installing an SSD are the two changes that can quickly and easily turbocharge your computer. Even the slowest computer won't have any trouble with spare parts, but it's only on the website. This week, previewed at last year's Max conference, Adobe Gemini will be known as Fresco, and it's coming soon. And big changes for New York City subways and buses as the MTA works to convert from plastic metro cards to a system that accepts payments from electronic wallets and various kinds of payment cards. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.